Well, today we're going to look at Romans 10, uh, chapter, uh, verses 5 through 21. And we want to think a bit, bit about the context. Uh, this is in the middle of, a, of a three chapters where Paul is explaining uh, the situation of the Jews. But what's being said here to the Jews is also, or about the Jews, is also uh, applicable to us. And there's much we can learn uh, from Romans chapter 10, 9, 10, and 11. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Each day that we live, there are opportunities to be discouraged. The circumstances of our lives give us ample reasons to be downhearted and dejected. And as a pastor, I get to regularly hear about these circumstances as people uh, share with me what what they're going through. Now, one thing that I've learned uh, is that everyone has problems. Uh, And everyone who has problems, which is everyone, everyone thinks their problems are unique. That no one else in the world is going through or has gone through what they're going through, what you're going through. But that's simply not true. You're not not unique in that you, you have problems, I have problems. And the problems that you have are not unique to you. You're not that special. I would be as bold to say that there is someone in this very room 
who has the same struggle as you have right now. If you think about what you're re- what's really your burden right now, what's, what's really the problem in your life, uh, probably even in this small crowd, there's probably somebody else that's going through the same thing or struggling with the same thing or wrestling with the same thing. People th- tend to think, well, I'm the only person and no one understands. I guarantee you that someone does, and they're probably sitting very close to you. So everyone has their own personal problems, relationship problems, marriage problems, family problems, work problems, health problems. The list goes on. Then you pile on top of that the problems that affect us in our communities. You you have the problem of crime and poverty. You have the problem of, uh, you know, a church with lots of uh, empty spaces and pews. That's discouraging to us or can be discouraging to us. Then you pile on top of all that the problems in our, in our nation, in our world, and the, the news cycle that hits us constantly with discouraging, discouraging news. And if we're, you're a Christian in the world today, it's especially tempting to be discouraged as you see uh, people being more negative to Christianity than ever before in the Western world. Now you'll notice that I've been trying to say that we are tempted to be discouraged, that we have opportunities to be discouraged because we don't have to be discouraged. I'm just pointing out that everybody's got circumstances and problems and and situations that would certainly uh, tempt you to be discouraged. It would be easy for you to be discouraged, but we don't have to be discouraged. In fact, we should never be discouraged, but always be encouraged, because as Christians, we have the eternal good news to glory in and share with the world. But sometimes we forget the gospel, especially when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances. So today, I want to encourage you. That's my goal, to encourage you with the good news. In verse 14, Paul writes, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who who preach good news. Preaching is supposed to be encouraging. Preaching is supposed to be a proclamation of the good news. And I want to be a herald of good news to you today in the midst of the discouraging circumstances of life. I'll be sharing three things with you today. Hopefully you have one of the outlines that were uh, out with the bulletins. Uh, First of all, the character of the gospel is free. Secondly, the character of God He is very generous. And then finally, the character of unbelief. It's really disobedience and contrariness to God. Let's talk about these three things. But first, uh, I want to put it it a bit more in context, in the immediate context of of chapter 10. Paul is sharing in in this, uh, as I said before, in the context of, of explaining the case of the Jews. And he's been sharing the gospel Chapters 5, 6, 7, 8 especially, uh, very encouraging, talking about all the wonderful promises of God and all that he has in store for his people. But then he moves in chapter 9 to the case of the Jews. And the Jews had received God's word, just like we read about in Deuteronomy 30. 
Uh, they had access to God like no other people on earth. Yet here they are, the gospel has come, the Messiah has come, and, and many of them, especially in Paul's day, were not embracing the gospel. They were actually opposing the gospel. And so the question arises, well then, is God's promises you know, tenuous? or will, Is God not fulfilling the promises that he made to these people? And so Paul is answering that question. And of course the answer is no, he's, he's been faithful to his promises. But what he's sharing is that, well, if we just back up to verse 2, uh, he's telling them why they're missing it. Why are they, they're, they're, why are they missing the gospel? And he says in verse 2, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know, they, they have a zeal for God, but they don't understand the gospel. They don't grasp it. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 5 fleshes that out for us, verse 5 and following. How is it that Christ is the end of the law for, of righteousness to everyone who believes? This is what they've been missing. And he goes to the Old Testament to show them that, that it's there. Uh, the, the gospel that he's preaching is there in the Old Testament and they're, they're not getting it. We need to be careful as we think about these things that we aren't missing it as well. Do we truly understand the gospel? Or are we seeking to establish a righteousness of our own according to the law? And those are the two things he says. Now, first of all, the character of the gospel, we see it laid out here. Uh, first of all, the gospel is not based on keeping the law. To describe a righteousness based on the law, Paul quotes Leviticus 18, there in verse 5. He says, the person, or Moses wrote in Leviticus, the person who does the commandments shall live by them. If you do the commandments, you'll live by them. Well, the problem with that is no one can do the commandments. No one can perfectly fulfill the commandments. Paul has made that point, especially in the early part of Romans, Romans 1, 2, and 3. He sums it up in, in chapter 3 where he emphatically makes that point that by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law, no one, no human being will be justified in his sight. It is impossible. And that's what chapters 1, 2, and the first part of chapter 3 is laying out for us. No one is righteous, not even one, doesn't matter if you're a Jew, doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, everybody is a failure when it comes to keeping the law. The law cannot justify you, it can only condemn you. Now you might be able to keep part of the law, uh, you might be able to keep a, a good number of the laws, but as James says, when you've broken one part of the law, you've broken it all. It's like the man who, uh, who is a murderer, and he might say, well, I'm innocent of everything else. You know, I've, I've got a good record on all the other ones. Just this little murder thing has, you know, got me hung up. Well, what is that person? That person is still guilty. They've broken the law. Now, if we examined ourselves, we would see that, yes, we have all broken God's law. Because it's more than just simply refraining from certain activities. It's also positive duties that are required in the, in the law. It's also not just our, our actions, it's our thoughts, uh, it's our words, it's, it's even the attitudes of our hearts. 
that condemn us because we can't keep the law perfectly. So Paul says, and makes the point, that Moses knows that you cannot keep the law perfectly because Deuteronomy 30 is the next thing that he quotes. And he says the work really is already done. And it's not rocket science. Moses knew this. When Moses was writing in Deuteronomy 30, he talks about this word that I'm giving you today, the, the word of God that I'm giving you today. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to go across the sea. You don't have to go searching for it. It's here. God has laid it in your lap. It's near you. And that's what Paul's picking up on. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, especially in Moses' day, there was a romanticized idea of going on epic quests for inaccessible knowledge. You know, the person, you know, gave his entire life to finding out this secret knowledge that, that no one could attain. And part of what Moses is doing is, is fighting against that attitude that was prevalent in his society. Paul's doing a similar thing. He's talking about the Jews who, who want to work for it, and he's, Paul is saying it's not based on your works. It's the gospel. It's that Christ has done it all for you already. And that message is right there. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to uh, you know, go on some epic quest for it. You don't have to search diligently. We're proclaiming it to you. It is simple. It is good news, and it's free. It's already been done. Verse 6, the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ from the dead. He's referring to Deuteronomy 30. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll recall in that Deuteronomy 30 passage that, that Moses promises that God will circumcise your hearts. Because even Moses knew that it wasn't just outward conformity to a standard that was going to save you. God has to do something in your heart to change your heart so that you will love him. And out of love for him, then you will obey him. But salvation doesn't come from the obedience. There's got to be this heart thing that happens. And he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's a summation of the gospel, everything about Jesus, that he is the Lord, he is the Son of God, he died, he rose again to pay the penalty for sin. If you believe that, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Those two things are synonymous. They go together. They're not two separate things things, but when you believe in your heart truly, you will confess it with your mouth. That's what Paul's saying. Embrace it in your heart, and then you, will, then you can speak freely of it. With a heart you believe, and the mouth you confess. That's all you need to do. Put your trust in the finished work that Christ has already done. That's where uh, the work has already been completed, and you don't have to do the work. The only work is to believe, to trust, to put your life in the Lord's hand, and it's all about your heart, not outward conformity to a, to a standard. Moses knew that it was faith from the heart that would bring you home to the Lord. You don't need to scale heaven or die. Christ has already done that. You just need 
to believe, to trust, to put your faith in Christ. So that's the character of the gospel he's sharing. And people miss that because they think, well, I need to, I need to work, work, work. I need to live by a certain standard so that when I die, my goods will outweigh my bads and God will save me. That's a, that's a very wrong way to look at it. You, you can't be good enough because, you've, like I said, you've broken the law. The law has been broken. You're guilty. doesn't matter if you're a pretty good moral person. You might be a wonderful person. But you, the fact of the matter is you've broken the law. And you need someone outside yourself to save you because you can't save yourself. That's what Paul's saying. And he's saying it's not rocket science. It's not complicated and it's not something that, that uh, is hidden. We're proclaiming it. Just embrace Christ. Well, it shows us something of the character of God as well. In this passage, and I think some wonderful things, there's uh, uh, three things here. Uh, verse 11 and 12 and 13 tells us that, first of all, he's trustworthy. In verse 11 it says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He's quoting uh, Isaiah 28:16. Now that verb there that says uh, will not be put to shame uh, is often used in the context of judgment. You know, we might think uh, not be put to shame, might be, we might not be embarrassed. But this has got more depth to it than that. He's saying anyone, anyone who believes in, in the Lord will not be put to shame in the context of judgment. And when a person is judged and, and rendered guilty, then that person is exposed and ashamed. You know, it's, it's announced to the world, guilty. And you have to go pay the penalty for your guilt. But the one who believes in him, verse 11 says, will not be put to shame. There will be no pronouncement of, of guilty because you have been justified. You have been declared righteous. And there's no need to be ashamed anymore. Your sins have been forgiven, have been washed away and cleansed. Christ bore them on the cross. So he's trustworthy. Anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. It's a guarantee. Now secondly, he is generous and lavish. Look at verse 12. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of, of the Lord? Bestowing his riches. He's generous in that it's something that he gives as a free gift, but it's lavish in that it is riches. The word there uh, is used all throughout the scriptures to refer to wealth, riches. God bestows upon the one who believes in him, I'm not talking about material wealth, the, the spiritual wealth, the riches of his grace and mercy and forgiveness, something that you can't buy with money, something that is priceless. Acceptance by God, to be part of his family, to have an eternal hope. The list goes on. You just go back to chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, or 5, and especially 8, and you can learn all about the many, many lavish gifts that we receive freely from the Lord. So God is not only trustworthy, He's generous and lavish. How often do we think, especially when we're going through discouraging circumstances, we think just the opposite of God, that he's an ogre, that he's a cosmic killjoy, that he must be out to get me. We trust the gospel. We don't need to be discouraged because God is generous and lavish. We see that in the greatest demonstration of his love to us when Christ came to earth. 
And then thirdly, he's available. He's available. You know, God's not hidden himself. Sometimes we might feel that way, especially when we're going through discouraging times. Where is God? It seems like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming back down. But this says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone, everyone, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter where you are today, you don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to do anything. You just need to put your trust in the Lord. Turn to him, call on him, and let him clean you up. And he will. He will. He'll put the Holy Spirit on you and, and, and go to work and uh, start cleaning out things like you've never imagined. But he's available to anyone. Some people might think, well, I've done too much, or this struggle that I've got that I'm hiding from the world is, is uh, so shameful that I'm too ashamed to come to God. Don't believe that. God knows already, and he's inviting you to come. The word is near you. Uh, it, it's being proclaimed to you. Don't turn it away. Embrace it. Believe it. Trust in him. Call upon the name of the Lord. Now, finally, the final character, the character of unbelief. We have that in the final little section. He turns his attention in verse 16 back to the Jews uh, because he's talking about their unbelief. Why do they not believe the gospel? They're going about it the wrong way. They think it's by works and not by grace. And he's building up for his argument in chapter 11, so I'm not going to go through everything that it said here, but I want to look at this last verse, verse 21. He says, of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. If we don't embrace Christ, if we don't believe the gospel message that I'm proclaiming to you, that the scriptures teach us, it's an act of disobedience. You're not heeding the call to come to the Lord. You're not listening to the invitation. You know, we get... Uh, invitations to lots of things, to weddings, uh, to birthday parties, to this, that, and the other. And uh, we can ignore those invitations, even though we might go and have a wonderful time. We might say, well, I don't want to do that, or I don't want to have that. We're not heeding the invitation. We're not obeying the invitation to come and celebrate. Well, in this case uh, of Israel, it says, they... I'm holding out my hands, and yet they're being disobedient. They will not turn to me and receive lavish riches of grace. And then it says that not only are they disobedient, but they're contrary. They're against. They are contradicting God. They're opposing God. They're declining to obey Him. They're declaring themselves against Him. They're refusing to have anything to do with Him on His terms. And that is what unbelief is. You're pushing God away. And Paul says that's what people do in Romans 1. People who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, they're pushing God away. They don't want to have anything to do with him, even though he's holding out his hands to these people, ready to release the wonderful gifts of grace, the lavish riches of grace that he has for them. Why would you be contrary to the simple, gracious gospel? If you want to be discouraged in life, if you really want to be discouraged in life, then follow a righteousness by works. You know, go back to verse 1. I'm going to live by the law. You'll be discouraged right quick because you will soon find out. If you ever set your heart and say, I'm going to try and obey every, every commandment perfectly, you're going to be discouraged 
because you are going to fail and fail every day of your life. Because no one can keep the law. We're sinners by nature. If you follow that path, you will certainly be discouraged. But when you put your faith in the finished work of Christ, you need not ever be discouraged. Even in difficult circumstances of life, you don't have to be discouraged because the God of the universe is for you and with you, holds you in the palm of his hand, and no one can snatch you away. You are secure forever. Yes, you might go through difficult circumstances in life. We sang about it, Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, when you, when you go through the fire, you'll not be burned. I am the Lord your God. I am with you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You put your faith in the Lord, even in the difficult circumstances of life, you can walk through them with that confidence. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for God is with you. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the encouragement of your word and the gospel, the good news that sinners like us who fall so far short of your standard of holiness and perfection, that you have seen fit to provide this wonderful salvation in Christ. Lord, I pray today that if anyone is here and, and they don't know you, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, we pray that we would all recognize that we're sinners, that many of our problems are caused by our own sin. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to grasp and understand this good news that you have paid it all, you have done it all, and we need just rest in you and the finished work that you have done on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.